Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland, and today I'm joined by a very special guest host while Lauren is out watching one of her friends get married to one of her other friends. And that guest host is Ben Bolin. Hey, Jonathan, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, longtime fan, first time co-host. Yep, that's true. Uh, I hope. Anyway, well, <laughs> I, I know the, the co-host part is true anyway. This actually means that we have both members of a particular How Stuff Works podcast as guest hosts at some point in the history of the show. Yeah, that's right. Good call, man. Uh, longtime Tech Stuff fans will remember that one of my co-hosts, uh, the legendary Matt Frederick, made a guest appearance on Tech Stuff, right? Yeah, many, many moons ago. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we are grateful to have you here. And, uh, you know, you, you're, you're kind of sort of a, a transportation guru by now, I would say. And uh, I asked Ben what topic would he like to cover? And he said, hey, have you guys covered Hyperloop? And uh, that's when I had to kind of kick the ground and look at the look at the ground and then say, no, because we did an episode about Elon Musk, who has a lot to do with Hyperloop. But we did that on March 13th, 2013. And he didn't talk about Hyperloop until like June. Yeah, this is a pretty this is a fairly recent development in the context of his career. Now, Elon Musk, uh, for anybody who hasn't checked out the tech stuff episode on shame the, on you. Yeah, shame on you. Get thee to a speaker. Yeah. Of <laughs> some sort. Find an RSS feed or iTunes or something and, and download that and listen to it. We'll wait. Okay, welcome back. Okay, yeah, welcome yeah. back. And that was uh, what you just listened to, if you hadn't heard it before, was a great overview of this inventor's life, including his origin story and the companies he's been associated with. Uh, Jonathan, if I, if I could defer to you for a quick recap sure. of, of Elon Musk. Okay, so um, he came up with a little idea that would eventually be called PayPal. Uh, PayPal is, of course, a payment system that you can use online. You can create an account through PayPal, and it allows uh, you to process payments or to to make payments to vendors that accept PayPal, particularly things like uh, eBay. Sure. But uh, it was one of those ideas to try and make online transactions secure and easy so that maybe you didn't want to um, to hand over your credit card information every time. Maybe you wanted to create a special bank account and then make that a PayPal account. And so you could do transfers in a more secure format. You knew that you had a certain amount of money in that account. Nothing beyond that was ever going to get tampered with. Yeah, uh, it, it kind of controlled your risks. Yeah, absolutely. And now, of course, as we've talked about with inventors in the past, because uh, you've also done a show called Stuff of Genius. Yep. So we know that uh, often when somebody invents something, that appears to be new. They're standing on the shoulders of giants, earlier innovations. PayPal, not necessarily the first uh, time someone attempted to do this, right. but by far the most successful instance. Yeah, yeah. And, and even that was not Elon Musk's first foray into mm. business. He had tried a few times. But PayPal was, I guess you could say, ridiculously successful. Yeah. Uh, it, it gave him the freedom to pursue whatever else he wanted to do because he made so much money so quickly that the constraints were off. And so he began to pursue another interest of his, which was, uh, you know, cars that go really fast. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, Tesla Motors, another little company by Musk yeah. that some of you may have heard of. No, uh, Scott Benjamin and I cover this often on car stuff and tech stuff has also looked into some of the fascinating innovations and technology here. Uh, so we've got a guy who's done PayPal, we've got a guy who's done Tesla Motors. Uh, he also was interested in another transportation initiative. Yeah, uh, before we even get to Hyperloop, he was interested in uh, a transportation that would send you up, like really, really up, and uh, not not balloons on a house. Up. No, 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 not 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 that up. No, we're talking, of course, about SpaceX, which is a privatized space initiative. Really, it's mm. it's the business of getting things up into space. Because as we all know, uh, NASA was getting further and further budget cuts as time was going on. And it became apparent that if we weren't going to have a public space industry, something that was funded by the government, 
then if we still wanted to pursue things in space, and we do, because uh, there's a lot of important stuff out there, mm-hmm. communication satellites being one of the, the simplest to explain, it meant that we had to have some private industry step in. And so uh, Musk said, you know, I think this is something else that I'm really interested in. I've always been interested in space. And he began to devote quite a bit of time and money and resources to creating uh, a, a viable private space uh, enterprise. And in fact, uh, but not the spaceship. Enterprise. Right, 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 right. Yeah, that would have been uh, probably a little beyond even his amazing reach. Well, now it's it's early, early days, yet. early days. <laughs> yeah. So it, mostly what he's looking at is our ways to try and create a an economically feasible private space uh, enterprise. And he talked a lot about how that's difficult to do because you have very limited uh, vendors from whom you can get the important components right, yeah. for your rockets. So he, I remember specifically, he pointed out this problem he had in Russia where he would be quoted a price. He would agree to purchase a certain number of units of rockets at that price. And then upon the actual manufacture of it, be told, oh, we're sorry. I know we said that it was going to be uh, $20 million for all of these, but it's actually going to be $20 million per rocket. What? Yeah, something along those lines. It's just, you know, and he talked about how you know you have to deal with these things and that it gave him a lot of uh, experience and knowledge about the industry and how to try and, and get around that by making as much of the stuff yourself as possible. In fact, that was one of the things he said, like, this explains why NASA uh, budgets go out of control. It's not that they're poorly managed. It's that you have such limited resources to go mm-hmm. to to get what you need that you're kind of held hostage by them. Absolutely. So, but then all of these interests are stuff that we had already talked about on Tech Stuff. Right. Yes. That was the uh, quick and dirty recap of the episode you should listen to in full. We say all of this to say that Musk has some street cred. He's not just some guy, you right. know, making a YouTube video. Uh, he is proposing um, another transit innovation, another potential transit innovation, and that would be the Hyperloop. But uh, my first question to you, Jonathan, when we're talking Hyperloop, what? What is it? Well, if we were to take Elon Musk's own words, and this is somewhat paraphrased from an interview he gave uh, at the D11 event, he said, it's a cross between a Concorde and a railgun and an air hockey table. He added the air hockey table last. Like he, he said, Concorde and a railgun first. And that got a great response. He's, you know, technically, if I really want to blow your minds, I need to add in the fact that there's an air hockey table element in there, too. And uh, then he made uh, an inappropriate joke. But essentially, he said that if these three things got together and had nice romantic times, Hyperloop would be the bebe that yeah. would be produced as a result. <laughs> yeah. So uh, now that that alone doesn't really tell you what Hyperloop is. And I think that was actually Musk's point. He knew he he didn't want to spoil the surprise at that event. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to give just enough information for people to get curious about it, but not enough to actually explain what it was. Right. And uh, one of the things, one of the best ways for us to approach this uh, over the course of this episode, I think we're going to go into what the, the science behind a Hyperloop uh you know, maybe some pros, some cons, some similar systems. Uh, the elevator pitch, we, we can't really beat that great quote uh, about right. a railgun. But, but if you want to, if you want something that's a little easier to actually visualize beyond the fact that what you're going to shoot people through some form of high energy mechanism <laughs> and they're just going to fly across and you, it. and you get points if they hit the goal. Right. Like, yeah, this like, what is this? yeah. But no, it's, it's more like, all right. So it's, it's an elevated. Uh, system uh, in more ways than one. For one, it's going to, if it were to be built, it would be built on pylons that mm-hmm. would go and hold the 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 whole system above ground. Um, it's was proposed be- to be between uh, Los Angeles and San Francisco. Yes, with an incredibly short transit time. Yeah, we'll get into that. Okay. I don't want to spoil it. Okay, no spoilers. But no spoilers. Uh, but it's it's the idea is that the the capsules that you would travel in it wouldn't be a train. It would be a sort of a capsule that could hold a certain number of people. Mm-hmm. Um, that these these capsules would float above the floor of the system, the whole thing would be inside a tunnel that's on top of these pylons. Mm-hmm. So it's all enclosed, but the capsule would float above the ground. So that means you've eliminated uh, friction from right. the wheel. There are no wheels to Which worry about. Which is a huge deal. Yep. And then it would be propelled 
uh, down this tube, uh, which also would have very low air pressure, so you would have low air resistance. Yeah, it's a partial vacuum. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about that, too, in a second. So essentially, you're talking about some sort of, imagine a straw, but the straw is closed off at both ends, uh, more or less. There's, yeah. there's a little bit of a gap in there to allow some air passage. And then imagine a pea that's inside, like a, a, a dried pea that's inside that, that straw. Yeah. And then imagine that you have somehow maybe bombarded that pea with electrons so that it now has built up a negative electrostatic charge. And then you put another negative magnet end next to it and it would, zip across to the other end of the tube in a very, very oversimplified way. That's what the hyperloop is. And you are inside the P. Yes, you are inside the P. Uh, (laughs) So you, yeah, uh, obviously there's some questions that we have to answer, (laughs) but that's the general idea. So, you know, this is, this is actually, it's, we'll talk about this too. This is not the first time this kind of system has been proposed. Mm -hmm. And in fact, uh, there's a really interesting story we'll get to about another person who has proposed a very similar system that they, they've been talking about for a couple of years before Musk ever said anything. And uh, they received a slightly different reaction, I would say, mm-hmm. than what mm-hmm. Musk has received. Um, and we'll, I, we'll have to talk about no that. No spoilers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, just teasing you. So Hyperloop, essentially what we're getting at is it's a high-speed transportation system that allows multiple passengers to go between the cities of Los Angeles and San Francisco, at least initially, should it ever be built. Yeah. And uh, also, of course, the questions that we need to address that are going to be popping up in everybody's head. Um, I I just want to put this on the radar for the very end of the show, Jonathan. Yeah. The question I want us both to attempt to answer at the very end of the show, is this vaporware? That's an excellent question. And yes, I think that we will have to kind of give our own opinions on that at the very end. So we've got a lot to talk about, Mm -hmm. but before we get into the nitty gritty about exactly how this thing is supposed to work, should it ever be built, let's take a quick break and thank our sponsor. You've probably tried Hulu.com. Now with Hulu Plus, you can watch your favorite shows anytime, anywhere. Hulu Plus lets you watch thousands of hit TV shows and a selection of acclaimed movies on your television or on the go with your smartphone or tablet. And it all streams in HD for the best viewing experience. With Hulu Plus, you can watch your favorite current TV shows like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Community, and Sleepy Hollow. You can also check out exclusive content, including Hulu originals like The Awesome, starring SNL's Seth Meyers, and Moon Boy, starring Chris O'Dowd from Thor 2. Hulu Plus also offers a great selection of acclaimed films. For only $7.99 a month, you can stream as many TV shows and movies as you want, wherever you want. Right now, you can try Hulu Plus free for two weeks when you go to HuluPlus.com forward slash tech. That's a special offer for our listeners. Make sure you use HuluPlus.com forward slash tech so you get the extended free trial and they know that we sent you. Go to HuluPlus.com forward slash tech now. And as for shows I like to watch on Hulu Plus, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a big one, actually, because uh, occasionally I'm traveling and I miss stuff. And when I come back, I want to catch up and see what's going on. I feel that show's really just now starting to hit its stride. I think it might have struggled a little early in the Marvel Universe. It's so huge. And then you're dealing with these you know, human people and wh- how they are interacting in this world. And I think they're really getting into some interesting territory. So that's a recommendation for me. You should go check it out. All right, so we're back. Let's talk about how the Hyperloop would actually work. Now, uh, you remember I, I was mentioning that whole idea of a closed-off straw with a P in it. Right, B right? to P. Yeah, so if, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's okay, except for the fact that if you have air in that tube and the air doesn't have anywhere to go, that P is going to be pushing against the air in that tube. And even if there's space around the P, mm-hmm. it's not going to go as fast as it could if there were no air at all. Right. Right. The air resistance is one of the biggest speed killers. Yeah. So there you might have heard of some uh, maglev trains, you know, trains that actually float above the track uh, through magnetic levitation. And by magnetic levitation, we're essentially talking about magnets that repel one another and maintain the the train's uh, distance above a track. Usually it's it's like just a tiny distance above it. Right. And that's, you know, and this this helps reduce friction for those those sorts of systems. I think what we're seeing here is that these can be thought of as similar in some ways, but they, they have they have very different mechanisms exactly. on which they work. Thank you. Yeah. And, and also, you know, if you have a maglev train that's in an uncovered track, 
then it still has to deal with that air resistance. You know, Absolutely. Its top speed is going to be mitigated by the fact that it has to pr- push against air. So one of the elements of this Hyperloop system is it would be at a very low pressure. You would have uh, have a near vacuum, but not a total vacuum. Mm-hmm. A total vacuum is very difficult to maintain if you are talking about a, a significantly long tube. Right, yeah. A total vacuum is, in fact, so difficult to maintain that even if one could just throw billions of dollars at the problem right. of making a really long one, uh, it might be impossible to do it yeah. effectively. You would have to have some form of, of you know, vacuum stations all along the tube just to constantly deal with any differentiation in pressure. So instead, Musk says, why don't we just have something that will lower the air pressure quite a bit? Uh, and that will allow for reduced air resistance because you, you don't have as much air to push against. And that'll, that means the capsule can move faster within that tube. So that's that's one element to mm-hmm. it. Uh, another element is, well, how do you get the tube to float above the, the base of the track, the, the base of the tunnel? And it's not through magnetic levitation. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's weirdly enough. It goes back to our air hockey comparison, right? Exactly. The, the air cushioning, right? right That's yeah. the principle. Yeah. So you've got, uh, you've got these little air skis on the base of the metal capsule. So, uh, imagine these flat surfaces, lots of surface area on the base of this capsule. And then the track could blow air up and the capsule is on a cushion of air. Mm-hmm. So that there's another reason why you can't have a total vacuum because if you're using air to keep the, the capsule up, uh, you, you obviously can't have a total vacuum. Right. Yeah. In this, in this case, in a very crude comparison, it would be trying to drive a car without wheels. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, for anyone who has tried that, I'm sorry. I, I wish we had talked earlier. I know a lot of people who have cars without wheels on their front yard, but that's because we live in the South. Right. That is because we live in the South. But so if we just take, if we just take these two ideas, right? Partial vacuum, eliminating uh, the air resistance, having these air skis. Um, one of the first things that I thought about when I was reading about the Hyperloop system mm-hmm. was uh, it always reminded me in, in principle of the pneumatic bank tubes. Yes. Do you remember those? Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. And there's even a um, – the, there's even – this is such a tangent, but there's even a, a, a system that someone tried to build, I believe in New York, that was supposed to be a pneumatic train system. Spoiler alert. Didn't work out. Right. And so how, how would we, like, we're going to keep exploring the science, but, but it's, it's important that we underline and we emphasize that this is at best wildly ambitious. So we've got, um, we've got back to, uh, to the I- idea with the science. Now at this point, we're, we're talking about principles. We're talking about blue sky stuff. I love that you brought up the P example. This is a great example. <laughs> PEA. P-E-A for our family <laughs> show. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, it's uh, so this, uh, this P, this sealed capsule, mm-hmm. um, could carry 28 passengers. Right. So it's larger than your average P. He even, uh, suggested that if you wanted to expand the Hyperloop, you could have larger capsules that could co- carry not just passengers, but cars as well. One of the reasons for that is that the proposed stations that would be in Los Angeles and San Francisco would actually be in outlying areas, meaning that once you got there, uh, you would not be right there in the city center. You would have to find some other means of transportation to getting you to your final location, assuming that it's not a hotel that's adjacent to the uh, to the station. Right. Which would be probably wildly expensive, I'm assuming. Yeah. Well, you know, yes. And I remember I read one report that said. Because you would have to transfer to a different form of transportation, that would significantly increase the travel time. And I'm thinking, have you ever driven between San Francisco and Los Angeles? Because I don't know you know if you know what the word significant means. Because <laughs> I have gone between San Francisco and Los Angeles by car, and it yeah. is not – it leisurely is a good word for it. How long did it take? Uh, we actually decided to make it a road trip, so we stopped overnight between the two, and we we took a more scenic route anyway. We didn't take a direct route between San Francisco and L.A. We went down the coastal highway, so oh, okay. we were already going out of our way, but we stopped just south of Big Sur, which is gorgeous, by the way. If you've ever been to California uh, and you've been there, you know what I'm talking about, and if you haven't, you should check it out. It's absolutely beautiful landscape. But it's a long drive, and we decided we would make that an experience as opposed to a frustration, mm. right? We planned for it to be a long drive and that we would take a break halfway down. Now, if you were to go just down the highway, it'd be a few hours. 
right? It wouldn't be, uh, it wouldn't be like a, a you know a twelve hour drive or anything, depending upon how bad the traffic is, because it point. can get rough. But it's 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 definitely not a quick trip, and mm. uh, at least not yet. But the Hyperloop could possibly make it a quick trip. Now we haven't talked even about the propulsion system. Yet. Oh right, yeah. Yeah, we talked about that. It's floating above the track. Well, not even a track. It's floating above the ground of this tunnel, mm-hmm. uh, which again is elevated. It's on these pylons, and we talked about how. Uh, you know, it's, uh, we've got the low air pressure inside the tunnel, but how does it actually move? It uses a series of linear electric motors, which actually create a magnetic field. Mm-hmm. And so in this case, it's like the maglev trains that also use magnetic fields for two purposes. They use it one to levitate the train. And the second one is to propel the, tr- the train down the track. Mm-hmm. So while you're not using magnetism to levitate the capsule inside the hyperloop, you are using it to push it forward. And here's the neat thing is because you got that low air pressure system within this tunnel and you don't have to worry so much about friction, you've really reduced friction. Mm-hmm. You only have to accelerate the capsule for a relatively short amount of time and then it can glide the rest of the way mm-hmm. because you don't have to continuously pour in energy to maintain that speed. Right. I mean, you will slow down on your own because uh, you, you still have entropy to deal with. It's not a purely frictionless system. It's not a pure vacuum. So clearly, eventually, it's going to stop. But the the term there is eventually. Mm-hmm. So that's the neat thing, is that you accelerate to a top speed, and then you stop, and then you just allow the capsule to travel the rest of the way. So now that we know how it goes, how fast can this thing go? The The route is 354 miles, or about... 570 kilometers. Uh, yeah. And since, <laughs> yeah. and since we know, uh, since now we can get into our spoiler territory and yep. say that the proposed transportation time is 35 minutes. That's incredible. That's so, such a short amount of time to go between LA and San Francisco. I, that's, that's crazy. We are automatically going to be old codgers, uh, who, People will dismiss when we say, you know, in my but- day, it exactly. took you, it took you at least five hours to get between. Well, it takes more than 35 minutes to drive across Los Angeles. I mean, that's right. LA is enormous. So yeah. And there's, um, so this, this speed, let's see, how would you, I've, I've heard some differing numbers. Yeah. So, um, okay, I, I usually say, say, I usually say it's right around like, just below 600 miles per hour as the average speed, somewhere mm-hmm. somewhere between 575 and 600 miles per hour would be yeah. the average speed. So that's uh, roughly around 950 kilometers per hour, give or take, you know, 30 nice. kilometers per hour. Because, again, like you said, the discussions vary on this because it all depends upon, uh, you know, how you're defining everything. And 35 minutes, I think when they say 35 minutes, to me that just sounds like, a number like it, it like I don't know that they have specifically worked it out where scientifically speaking, it's 35 minutes travel time. It almost to me sounds like, well, here's here's a short enough amount of time for you to consider this incredible accomplishment. Yeah, right? good point. So uh, but that would mean that you would have a top speed. Like I said, you'd hit that top speed and then allow it to slow down. That would be probably around between 750 and 775 miles per hour or around 1200 kilometers per hour for your top speed. That's faster than what, how most, uh, commercial jets travel. Right. And that also gives us a, that also gives us a good place to note that if you are ever riding in this and you have some sort of phobia about this kind of stuff, um, you know, d- do your best. Yeah. To- you might, you might need to, um, have someone sing you a sweet song for 35 <laughs> minutes. Cause I mean, think about it. You are in an enclosed capsule. I'm guessing. That there wouldn't be any real windows because what would be the point? There's You're, not really a way to do it that would be worth the effort. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could you could put something along the tubes so that when you travel, it's almost like animation. Oh, that's cool. I've, I've actually seen train tunnels that have this kind of stuff where because as long as the train is moving at the average speed, mm-hmm. you get this uh, illusion of animation because of the way that things are lit and the way you're moving through this tunnel. So I guess you could do that. Yeah. But otherwise, you are in an enclosed steel tunnel. It's not like you've got a lot to look at. So if you are claustrophobic, I would imagine that would be scary. Plus, mm-hmm. you're going to experience some, some, you know, some acceleration. I, I, I'm sure that the acceleration would be gradual, so it wouldn't be so... Uh, incredible that you'd be all 
you know, crushed back in your seats. Right. Yeah, experiencing like a 10 G's of, of force. That would be way too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, yeah, but there will definitely be noticeable effects. It's pretty much unavoidable at yeah. that, at that level of speed. Yeah. And then you have to also worry about deceleration when you get to the end of your trip. So again, they would be using magnets to help slow down the capsules, uh, uh, travel so that mm-hmm. you would come to a smooth stop. But uh, that would be something that you'd have to take special care of. And obviously, like you, you definitely need to put this into very narrow ranges of acceptance, because otherwise, how can you guarantee that the average person would right. would experience no ill effects inside this capsule? Keeping in mind that the average person that, you know, there's what we say average. We're talking about a huge variety of variables, everything from. Uh, you know, health issues. Sure, like to, a heart condition or yeah, pregnancy. Right, right, exactly. Or, you know, just someone who is older, would they be uh, safe? Would they, you know, are they likely to suffer uh, ill effects from this acceleration and deceleration? Well, Someone who really had to use the bathroom, but they <laughs> forgot to do it before they got on the train? Yeah, I don't know if there would be a bathroom in here. You would think there would need to be, just because, you know, if you've got a group of people together, yeah. Uh, and asking someone to hold it for 35 minutes might be a bit much, depending upon that person. But they, they're probably, okay, I'm going to go out on a limb and say there probably isn't, at least yet. We do know that there are emergency exits built along the tubes. Um, or at or, least there would be. There would be. Yeah, we Thank haven't, you. we haven't built anything yet. Yeah, let's underline that again. And you did a great job emphasizing that in the beginning, but <laughs> we can't say it enough. This has not been built yet. And main, as of the recording of this podcast, as of the recording of this <laughs> podcast. And um, there also there's an additional I, uh, there's a supplemental power source here, the solar panels. Yeah. In fact, that's a great point there. I, I totally forgot to mention that, too. Where does the the Hyperloop get its power? Because you're talking about electric motors providing that force to propel them. Uh, presumably, you'd be using some form of electric motors to to create the air cushion. Right. So where are you getting that power? And Musk had said, well, let's put solar panels along the top of this, this, uh, raised tunnel mm-hmm. and you just harvest solar energy and you store that and use that as the power source saying that if you did this properly, you would not have to tap into the power grid at all. It would be completely self contained in that respect. Uh, which, you know, obviously that would be a huge, uh, benefit. You could yeah. say, well, uh, well, the operating costs have only like we can't even estimate what the operating cost of the system would be. But if you can remove power from that, then you can at least compare that part to any other uh, alternative plan. That's true. And also, you know, the other the other power source there inside the pods would be the batteries yeah. uh, that Tesla that again come from uh, Tesla Model S electric cars. Well, they don't they're related to it. Yeah. And Tesla, the Tesla Motors, the one of the things that they've um, they've really innovated in is battery technology and charging technology. They have something called a supercharger, which allows them to charge batteries to essentially full capacity at relatively short uh, intervals. So that would allow them to continuously operate and recharge these these uh, capsules, so that uh, you didn't have to worry about taking them offline for a great deal of time. Now, clearly, uh, you know. One of the the criticisms I've heard is that this system might work in California where you get a lot of sunshine. Ah, yes. But if you were to try and expand this so that you could, you know, maybe people who, I don't know, don't live in California, as crazy as that sounds. That's crazy talk, Jonathan. To the two people who in this room, well, three, really, because we got Noel here, too. None of us live in California. Uh, we would not be able to take advantage of this unless we were to head out and see our buddies at Revision 3. Right. Uh, and then say, hey, let's go to Disneyland. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's just a 35 minute trip on the Hyperloop. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it wouldn't necessarily work everywhere using solar energy. If, like in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. The UK might not get enough sun to keep that going. So they, now you could argue that sure, you could offset whatever the power needs were with solar panels right. and then the rest you would supply with whatever the power grid would supply. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, it's an all or nothing game. It's not a zero sum game. I don't mean to say that, but it's one of those things you got to take into consideration. So, l- all right. So this sounds pretty incredible, Ben. Yeah. This, this, this whole system sounds amazing to me. Um, you know what? Everything that's amazing comes with a price tag. And I'm curious how much 
Musk thinks this system would cost? Oh, man. You know, I think the uh, the bargain number that I've heard thrown around is uh, as low as uh, $6 billion? Is that what you That's saw? what I saw. That's the, the alpha design uh, yes. has been called $6 billion because this is, again, no one has seriously looked into building this at, at, at least to the point where talks go beyond just a kind of hypothetical situation, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Right now, a lot of the numbers that you and I are pulling come directly from a 57-page, I I think it's fair to call it a manifesto, uh, written by Musk about the Hyperloop. And this, uh, this number comes from his estimate, this alpha system. Think of it like, uh, Think of it like when the first PlayStation came out, you know, right. It was it was it was chunky. It was first gen. It didn't have all the amenities, all the bells and whistles. For instance, the alpha system doesn't take into account the idea of um, which you mentioned earlier, the idea of putting passenger vehicles on right. The pods. Right. So, in fact, uh, I think they said that if you wanted to make it for passenger vehicles uh, to be stored on those kind of pods as well, it would be more like seven point five billion and and a 1.5 billion increase for something that significant seems really really optimistic to me. Yeah, optimistic's the the diplomatic word. Because you imagine that any capsule that could hold at least a vehicle and presumably more than one if you're talking about this being a mass transportation system. Right. Then, you know, you're going to have to have larger capsules, which means in turn you have to have larger tunnels to to accommodate those larger capsules, uh, stronger pylons yep. for the weight. Yeah, it's. I mean, everything ends up having to be larger and more, uh, more resilient, mm-hmm. and it just that means it's going to cost more. So, one point five billion more is kind of. I mean, it, it, I'm I'm curious to see how they arrived at their numbers. Um, yeah, I've read other estimations. One person. Uh, had suggested that it would be more like $100 billion to make such a system because you have to, to factor in everything from, uh, the design, prototypes, sure. building development it, cost, testing it, yeah, making sure that it's safe for people to use, and then finally building out the real system and then, uh, and then operating it, maintaining it. Yeah. Uh, you know, that there are a lot of costs in there. So, uh, it's interesting too. Did you see how much they had proposed a, a, a ticket would be on the Hyperloop? Yeah, twenty dollars. Twenty dollars. One way. One way. It's more. Ex- it would be more expensive for you to take a cab to the station than it would to take a trip from San Francisco to Los Angeles. Yeah, and twenty dollars. That to me, out of all the numbers we've got thrown around, twenty dollars is the one that uh, is most likely to make me smirk. Yeah, because that's that's blue sky. Now, if it works, is it fantastic? Sure. If it's fifty dollars for a ticket, is it worth it? Still, yes, yes, yes. It was so much worth it. Yeah, that's the thing is that I wonder. Uh, there, I've seen some economists say that I can't understand how they would come up with this idea that if you had a twenty dollar ticket, it would recapture the cost of building this thing within the time frame that Musk was suggesting. Uh, you know, I just. I also think now granted Musk is a a pretty smart businessman, right? Sure, he's yeah. he's he's achieved way more on the business side of things than I have or that I ever expect to achieve. Hey, come on. You know, you know, you never know what tomorrow brings. Right. You know, maybe I maybe I end up coming up with hey, I came up with an idea that could win me a Nobel prize uh when I was talking about uh possibly the existence of white holes and why we haven't identified any. Uh, I'm still waiting on that check. I got a certificate, though. I'll show it to you after the, after the episode. <laughs> okay. The listener sent me a certificate. Um, but yeah, I, it just to me, that just that $20 per ticket, it really makes me wonder how many people per day the system would allow to travel so that you would recapture those costs within a reasonable amount of time well i've got musk take on it and okay. that is an excellent question because that price has to we have to assume that there are there there's at least concrete estimation behind that um here is what he's thinking he said the capacity would be on average 840 passengers per hour wow uh so he argues that's more than sufficient enough to transport all of the six million passengers traveling between la and san francisco per year uh, and that accounts for 70% of those travelers to use Hyperloop during rush hour. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of wind at your back scenario stuff going on 840 here. 840 per hour. That is, you know, that's pretty amazing. 
if Wait, and how many works. people did they say the capsule could hold? Like twenty something? Twenty eight. <laughs> so yeah. twenty eight. So that, there are a lot of capsules traveling on that system in order to get. And obviously, this is a two way loop. I mean, it is a yeah. loop. Yep. So you, you you would divide that by two to figure out how many are traveling north versus south, essentially. Mm-hmm. And leaving every two minutes. That's the uh, interval of the trains. Again, that's the uh, proposed interval of the trains. And, um, you know, yeah, it might sound weird to some of the listeners that you and I are taking a few moments every few minutes to say, well, that would be. This yeah. is conditional. But it's very, very, very important to note this because any time that we're talking about um, an infrastructure process, uh, an infrastructure of this size or in any any kind of new uh, transportation, mm-hmm. we have to understand that it's very safe to assume that the cost will balloon, will yeah, skyrocket. Sure. Yeah, because you're always going to run into other costs, just like Musk ran into other costs with SpaceX, yep. things that he did not anticipate because he was told one thing and it turned out to be another thing. I would imagine the same situation would happen here where Things that, you know, you're basing it off of a certain set of expectations, but you haven't factored into all the other variables that could affect any of those numbers, yeah. including things like, well, in order for me to get the political uh, angle covered, I need to make sure that all these other things are covered first or I'm not going to get the support I need to get this done, which kind of you know, this is kind of bring us into those pros and cons. Obviously, yeah. the, the pro here is that you would have a high-speed transportation system that could get you between two distant cities in 35 minutes, which is phenomenal, for a low price, 20 bucks a ticket. That's Wonderful. Yeah, I I could imagine so many people in L.A. or San Francisco taking weekend trips, you know, because you got 20 bucks a person. It's no, nothing. You can go visit the other city, and mm. you're, you can spend most of your time doing whatever it is you want to do instead of in the car. Great idea. I like the idea that's getting most, it's electricity from solar power. So it's not causing too much of a, a carbon footprint, mm-hmm. depending upon how, you know, you would have to factor in how much carbon footprint was generated just through the construction. Sure. Yeah, sure. But the operation, you would imagine, would be, you know, pretty low since you're using solar power as your yeah. source of energy. I love that. Uh, I love innovation, obviously. I love the idea that if this were actually to be as cost efficient as Musk claims, it would be remarkably less expensive than the proposed train, high-speed train system that they want to build between L.A. and San Francisco. Ah, yes, I am so glad you mentioned that because that's one of our that's one of our other factors. We should take just a just a sidebar here and talk about that. Uh, Hyperloop is while Hyperloop might be the internet favorite right now, yeah. it is not is not the only contender in the game for high-speed transit. In this realm, uh, there's also California's uh, state-sanctioned transit system, which, um, which let's see, what's the nicest way to say it? It throws that six billion dollar price tag into a very favorable contrast. Right? right? Yeah, Musk was making this point when he was talking about Hyperloop the, for the first couple of times. He said he was looking at the figures for this proposed bullet train between L.A. and San Francisco, and he said. There are two factors here, two superlatives that you never want. One, it's the most expensive bullet train per mile mm-hmm. than any other one in the world. And two, it's the slowest one. So it's very slow and very expensive He's, uh, compared to other bullet train systems. Right. And we know that we know that in the case of bullet train technology, this is not in the same situation as the Hyperloop, bullet train technology has been tested, has mm-hmm. been proven. It works successfully in Japan. It works successfully in China. Mm-hmm. It, there's some in Europe as well. There's some in Europe as well. And it's not as though, it's not as though this is slow and inordinately expensive because of a lot of research. It might just be, as Musk proposes, a, uh, a frustrating example of poor implementation. Right. Which uh, he was so frustrated with it that it led to this Hyperloop idea. Yeah, he said that that was essentially the impetus that got him to thinking there had to be a better way to get people quickly between uh, uh, these two cities and at a lower price. Yeah, and I'll I'll put on some uh, pros to dovetail with the pros that you uh, you earlier mentioned, which are all great, Mm -hmm. good points. Um, one of the other pros that I see, and this is all blue sky, if this works, how amazing would it be to be able to build 
a network of hyperloops. Kind of picture uh, just a, almost like a chain of loops around a uh, around a coastline or traversing through the United States. I mean, that's wildly ambitious. That's right. that's something that's not to bring mortality into it, Jonathan. But that's something that might be beyond our lifetimes, even right. if it did work. Right. We have this. Uh, well, I, I could yeah. also imagine that if you're talking about a more of a nationwide rollout of this, you would face other. Uh, interesting opponents to it. I could imagine the airline industry being very much interested in the fact that you would suddenly have a high-speed method of getting between two locations at uh, perhaps lower travel times than you would in the air. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that would be... You know, there'd be a lot more politics going into it. Absolutely. And it's funny because on Car Stuff, we did an episode once on the proposal for... Uh, a, a global interna- interstate system, for mm-hmm. lack of a better word. And by far, even ca- countering in the infrastructure, even countering in the, the cost of maintenance, which is astronomical, yeah. uh, the by far one of the most difficult things would be political opposition, right? Uh, which I think leads us naturally into the cons of of this system. Right. So one would be we can't really be sure what the cost is. So yeah. we don't while we know what Musk claims he thinks it'll it'll uh, cost that mm. may be wildly optimistic um whereas we can look at what other systems cost based upon previous uh, builds although i i think the uh the proposed r- bullet train is already something at like 68 billion dollars so it's already yeah. 10 times more expensive than what musk is proposing and it was 60 billion dollars and it jumped up 8 billion by yeah. the way so right and it also it would take you about 2 hours 40 minutes to get from LA to San Francisco on that train as opposed to yeah. as opposed to the musk's train or musk's uh, hyperloop it's yeah. not a train but anyway um so that's a con another con is it's a totally unproven technology yep so with no precedent, it's really hard to say whether or not it'll work. Like you could build some prototypes and test it out, but we honestly don't know. And it could be one of those things where you test it out and it doesn't work. And then you've, you've in some people's minds anyway, wasted time, energy and effort mm-hmm. in order to prove that you could not do what you had hoped to do. So there's that's one. Another one is just, you know, trying to figure out how do you, you know, how do you navigate those tricky political waters where you want to erect all these pylons alongside highways in California. Sure. You know, and, and then just the construction alone, like how, how long would that take to build mm-hmm. an enormous loop built on pylons? Uh, you know, and, and it, so there's, there's that con as well. You yeah. Know? And that's a, that's an interesting one because that is a con that is going to become more expensive over time, given the growth of that area of California, if, you know, it, let's say, let's just be wildly optimistic, man. Let's say eight years from now, right? They mm-hmm. break ground and they've got, they probably have a lot of agreements secured, right? For the mm-hmm. land or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then uh, it's obviously, it's going to take more than a year to build something this gargantuan. So the next year comes around and wait. Oh, the, the prices have changed. So instead of $20 million for this stretch of land, it's 20 million per acre now, just right. like the rockets. Right, right. But again, just back to your earlier point, there's no, it's very difficult because there are so many variables that are in the dark. I've got some additional cons that I haven't seen totally addressed. Mm-hmm. Um, one of, at least in a lot of stuff we've been reading. Now, one con that I love that you brought up was the idea that the price, of course, will balloon. And people have rightly said that there are some factors that are not taken in consideration mm-hmm. here. I think that is up there with uh, political political maneuvering. I think that is the thing that would be most likely to kill it. Right. Uh, another thing is, um, now, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like a softie, got my heart on my sleeve or whatever. Uh, this could be damaging to some communities or industries that rely upon that traffic uh, to ah. sustain their part of this the This is the economy. old Route 66 problem. Exactly. Yeah. Nail on the head. Yeah. Now, of course, this could be a little bit dark for some people, but in the spirit of objectivity, we must mention this. Uh, what happens when there's an accident? What happens if we already have a sunk cost of billions of dollars? Right. And then there's a disaster. Yeah, because uh, if the capsule has a, a failure inside it, you're talking about a low-pressure 
uh, system. Uh, it's much higher pressure inside the capsule. Mm-hmm. You, you just like uh, an experience of being in a plane at uh, at a high enough altitude. You got very low pressure outside, higher pressure inside. If there's a breach, then everything gets blown out. Right? Yeah, and there's a there is a line of uh, well, if you think about it, an entire loop of other capsules. Right. Two minutes behind. So if there is any sort of failure of the propulsion system, then you could end up having a collision. Uh, if there's a failure of the propulsion system in the sense of deceleration, then you could have injuries uh, as the capsule gets to its stopping point. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of safety questions. I mean, you're talking especially if you're talking about capsules leaving every two minutes. That thing literally has to run like clockwork. Like it, it would have to be so efficient. Yeah. Uh, you would have to have a very secure system to slow down capsules and maybe have them in a little waiting area uh, mm-hmm. along one section of the loop before... Uh, the previous capsule is completely unloaded because, again, depending upon who is in that capsule, it may take longer than average or you know, it may not take that long at all. And that whole thing has to be set up so that, you know, you don't have any safety concerns. That's yeah. huge. The software would have to be as innovative as the tube idea itself because it have to be continual security. I'm not saying it's impossible, man. It's I don't, just hard. It's just hard. That's the thing. Is it, and you know, humans have done some stuff that's really freaking hard. Yeah, we went so, to the moon. Yeah, and, and Musk has sent people into space. So it's not that it's not that we're saying that it's impossible to do, but you know, it. We definitely have to keep the challenges in mind in order for us to meet those challenges. Mm-hmm. Like even from the optimistic side, you've got to acknowledge it so that way you're prepared to overcome them. Mm-hmm. If you don't acknowledge them, then you're just it's just a ticking time bomb, really. Uh, we've got some more things to say about high-speed rail, but before we get into that, let's take another quick break to thank our sponsor. Okay, so we've talked about Musk and his influence. We've talked about his idea of the Hyperloop and how it would uh, work, assuming everything went as planned. We talked about the pros and cons. Let's talk about some of the other systems out there. We've mentioned a little bit about maglev trains, and I've done an episode about maglev trains, so I don't want to go over it too much, but it is, like we said, a similar idea. This idea of having a, a train that doesn't actually sit down on wheels, at least not the entire way. Uh, on, on Whenever it's at a station, it would be down on the track, uh, wheels to the track. And then once it leaves the station, magnets would end up uh, creating a repulsive force against one another. Mm-hmm. And there are different approaches to this. There's the electromagnetic suspension. There's electrodynamic suspension. Uh, there's the induct track sus- system, uh, which is the permanent magnet passive suspension. There's all mm-hmm. these different ways of doing it. But essentially, the same idea arises. You're just using these uh, magnets to push the train up mm-hmm. over the rails and then to propel them down the track's length. Uh, and then also to slow them down when they get to where they need to be, where they can then come back down onto their wheels and come to a rolling stop. And these are these are also high speed. But how high speed are we talking in comparison to the Hyperloop proposal? They're not as fast, mostly because most of them are not encapsulated in a tunnel with low air pressure. They mm-hmm. tend to be out among the uh, you know outside. So they still travel at an incredible speed because, again, you don't have to worry about that friction. See, friction is not just something that slows you down. Mm -hmm. It means that you're losing energy because you're losing energy in the form of heat, right? You're having to pour more energy into your vehicle to make it go the speed you want to compensate for the fact that you're losing energy and heat. By making it frictionless, not only can it go faster, but you don't have to pour as much energy into it because you're not losing so much in this this heat problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are other issues. For example, most maglev trains have to use superconductors because, yeah, uh, you know, actually they all use superconductors <laughs> in order to generate these magnetic fields. And superconductors are not cheap. And uh, most of them although this has changed over the last couple of decades, mm-hmm. most of them require being cooled to very, very, very low temperatures. We're talking just a couple of degrees above absolute zero. So, Right, and that's not, just to be clear, that's not something that happens every every so often or on a cycle that has to be continually yes. at that temperature. Yeah, so you're talking about using something like liquid nitrogen to get it down to a certain temperature and then switching to liquid helium because liquid nitrogen is not cold enough. Uh, that yeah. being said, there are some super colliders that have been developed since then, uh, since they the started building maglev trains, 
that operate at higher temperatures. And by higher, I still mean really, really cold, just not, <laughs> and just not as cold, right? So it's not like the deepest reaches of space cold, right? But it's way chillier than it gets in Minnesota in the winter cold. So, um, you know, it's not it's not something that makes it it makes it more expensive to operate. And so because of the expense of having to operate these, not just operate them, but also build them mm-hmm. there, there aren't as many maglev trains as you might imagine based upon their their initial appeal from the fact that they don't have as much friction. There are maglev trains. Sure. There's just not a lot of them. Some of them are just prototypes. Yes, yeah, some of them are just prototypes. And, and for a while, to be honest, uh, maglev trains seemed like they could be a candidate for this. There's this joke that uh, you and I have made before off-air and that Scott and I have made before off-air that there's all this fantastic technology, man. It's just 10 years away. Yeah, it's always 10 years away. Forever. Right. <laughs> you always are, you're always just 10 years away. Yeah, we make that same joke on forward thinking as well. Plug. Um, but the, <laughs> yeah, so, so the maglev trains, their top speeds may be somewhere between 350 and 400 miles per hour. Right. And so that's still significantly slower than what the Hyperloop would attain, assuming it worked the way we think it's supposed to. Yeah. Big difference being that maglev trains are, wait for it, real. Yeah. Um, so that I think alone gives them some, uh, bonus points in my book. But, uh, also if we, if, if we think about this, um, the the advantages that maglev trains have are um in comparison to the hyperloop you, you have to ask yourself does do those advantages make the maglev trains a more feasible option you know is the advantage of extra speed uh preferable right i think the biggest advantage maglev ha- trains have is not uh you know, in their operation, but the fact that we have proof of that it works, right? Exactly. Like yeah. we know that maglev trains work. So therefore that is a huge advantage over the hyperloop because that's something that from what we understand, it should work assuming you built it the right way, mm-hmm. but we don't have proof of it. All right. So Ben, let's talk about this other guy. Have you heard about Daryl Oster? Daryl Oster? Yeah. Hmm, he, name might be familiar. Why? He proposed a system that would be a transportation system. It's a steel tube on some elevated uh, structure, like on pylons, uh, that would use linear electric motors to push capsules at high speed across vast distances. Um, might sound a little familiar. Yeah. Hey, I didn't, I didn't want to interrupt, but um, this, this does sound a little bit familiar not to be a guy living in the past, but isn't this just what we've been talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like um, like five minutes ago. Yes, this is exactly, yeah, it's, it's called the Evacuated Tube Transport System, or ET3. Right, and didn't the ET3 hit the news and hit the public sphere uh, before this Hyperloop proposal? Yeah, well before it. Uh, and also, Oster, interestingly enough, uh, paid a little visit earlier this year to SpaceX. Which is, um, I don't know if you know this because we talked about it at the top of the show. One of the things Musk does. <laughs> what? Oh yeah, it's the it's the ancient past to me now. The top of the show, but the um, yes, this is a very interesting point because this has fueled some uh some speculation. Yes, yes, yeah, I would agree. That's a good word for it. So the speculation is essentially that perhaps either. Musk knew about Oster's idea and essentially lifted it because other people had suggested that Oster was, uh, for lack of a better word, wackadoodle. Um, mm. or rather that his ideas were probably unrealistic and difficult to put into practice. He did not get the same, uh, consideration or street cred that, that he, he encountered much more skepticism is probably right. the best way to say and it. And it's, it's possible that Musk is exactly the right guy to mm. go to about this sort of thing because Musk has this, already has this past of making these incredible accomplishments, things that some people might have called impossible before he achieved them. Right. So, uh, there's some speculation that in fact Musk has licensed the technology or the design from Oster. And in fact, Oster has said that there are people or organizations that are licensing his ideas. But he does not go so far as to identify who they are. He says that that's up to them. That it's their choice to uh, come out and say, yes, I've licensed this technology from so-and-so. Yeah, and that's, see, I think we're being very fair about this because the only three things, the, there are three things we know for sure. First, the design of Hyperloop and ET3 is very similar. Yeah. Second, uh, the um, Daryl did visit 
SpaceX. Yes. Third, uh, Daryl did mention that there was licensing involved, but none of that, even all of that together, does not conclusively prove anything. No, it's circumstantial. Circumstantial. So we call it we call it speculation, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and call it interesting. Yes, I I will go so far as to say very interesting. <laughs> I raise your interesting with a very. Um, yeah, I I think it would not surprise me to find out that Musk had heard of this and then thought it was a great idea. And that maybe together they realized that because of the, the resistance that Oster had faced when he was proposing his idea to other, you know, like the, essentially outlets were like, that's crazy. Then Musk goes forward and he says essentially the same thing. And they go, and they, huh. that's crazy awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so it's, it's possible that this is in fact an evolution of Oster's idea. It could very well be that it's two people who thought the same thing. Independently, that has happened many, many, many times in yeah, human history. Yeah, it happened with the typewriter. Yeah, it happened with uh, it happened with cal- uh, calculus. Yeah, it happened with lots of things. You know, so mm. we're not going to jump to that conclusion, but right. it is interesting. Uh, and so, you know, there are a couple of other things we can mention. Like, there's some other high speed uh, technologies that could possibly come into play. But I think that uh, that really. It's down to the brass tacks, Ben. I think we have to sit down mm-hmm. and actually predict, will Hyperloop come to pass, or is it, as you mentioned before, vaporware? Oh, get out of my head. You're reading my mind, man, because you're right. The time has come. Uh, I don't know if we have any dramatic music playing in the background, but it's in my head right now. Yeah. Who shall do the honors, sir? Well, I take uh, a shot or you want to do You know what? This. I'm going to go first. Okay. I'm going to say that... We will not see this become a a transportation between Los Angeles and San Francisco because the challenges of making sure that it will work properly and navigating those tricky political waters that are already so invested in a bullet train uh, uh, plan yeah. for those cities. I just think that's too great a challenge to overcome. I think that uh, even if you were to prove the technology works, Getting past that political barrier is a huge, huge task. Right. Okay. So to dovetail onto that, I am going to also have a bit of a qualified prediction. I, I predict, and I want to be optimistic about this, that we're going to see something like the Hyperloop in the future. However, I don't think it's going to be quite up to the specs that we've heard proposed and I am also skeptical that it could be built in California at this juncture. You know, there's a reason that Google Fiber went to Kansas City, right? Yeah. So right, right. That, that's my prediction. I think that's fair. Something like it. I, but, I will say yeah. that the Hyperloop proposal is in many ways much more reserved than Oster's originally uh, than his proposal, because Oster had said that he wanted this ET3 system to be deployed throughout the United States, which means that you have interstate politics to deal with then, not right. just within one state, right? You've got all these different states that you have to uh, factor into that consideration, and that makes it way more complex. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it was a more modest proposal, if you might call it that, uh, than the, the ET3, right. but I still think it's not... You know, there, there's been some discussion that maybe they could look at building one in Texas first. Sure. Texas is also a huge state with lots of nothing between some of the major cities. Mm-hmm. So that could possibly be something we see. And I, you know, I hope we do see a Hyperloop type system in place. Uh, I just don't think it's going to be between L.A. and San Francisco in the near future. Yeah, agreed. Well, that wraps up our discussion about Hyperloop. Guys, if you have any suggestions for future topics for Tech Stuff, let me know. Send an email. The address is techstuff at discovery.com. You can also drop us a line on our social networks. You can find us on Tumblr, Twitter, and Facebook with the handle TechStuffHSW. And Ben, where can they find your stuff? Oh, uh, thanks for asking. Uh, Jonathan, first, I want to thank you and Lauren so much for having me over on your show uh the places where you can find me well let's see uh you can find me on a show called stuff they don't want you to know which is 
YouTube, iTunes, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, also, Scott and I host a show called Car Stuff, which dovetails nicely for fans of tech. Mm-hmm. Um, and full disclosure, guys, uh, Jonathan and I hang out and stuff outside of the office, and we do we do talk about this stuff. So you might see our ideas popping up in different shows. Yeah. And speaking of that, one of the things I'm most excited to talk about, uh, one of the coolest places to find us, is you can see the dynamic duo you're listening to right now on Brain. Stuff, right, Jonathan? That's a video series, and there that's actually a rotating set of hosts. We don't actually rotate on camera. We could do that. We should try it. Yeah, I might get dizzy after about two or three takes, <laughs> but the idea is that you can actually see different hosts from all the different How Stuff Works shows pop up on that series. And Ben and I often will will take a, a topic together and we'll will be a two host performance for Brain Stuff, mm-hmm. which has been that's been a blast. It's been a lot of fun. So yeah, you can check us out there as well. So there you go, guys, and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.